G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much there. Now today I would like to introduce you to Clarissa de Leon, who is doing a PhD in education in the curriculum theorising stream under the supervision of Dr. Rebecca Luce Kepler. So welcome to Grad Chat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you know, I wanted to invite uh, Clarissa onto the show for a few reasons, actually. One was to touch briefly on her research, which is important for Grad Chat. A second one was to talk about some programming she is doing for education students and the community. And then thirdly, to talk about this year's Queen's Read Reads pick, which was called Scarborough, the book Scarborough, mm-hmm. which has been a fascinating book, and we'll, we'll get on to that a little bit later. So, firstly, your own research. You're looking at Philippine, Philippine ex-Canadians, mm-hmm. and apparently I, I've learned already that's the gender-neutral term for Filipinos. Yep, that's okay. right. So, see, I've learned already. <laughs> and you're specifically looking at how literary experiences help form our cultural identities. What made you pick this topic, and then also why the Filipino community? Sure. So I guess I always like to start from a personal space whenever I talk about my research, because that's very important to the way I do my research. Right. And in terms of literary experiences, I've always known from my own experiences that sort of the experiences we have around books, when we read books, when we interpret books, uh, are really powerful and they can be transformative. And something that I always say, and I don't say it lightly, but I say it often just as a reminder to myself, is that, you know, English class in high school changed my life. And that sort of carried on into my adulthood. And so when I decided to leave teaching and pursue graduate studies, I knew that I wanted to look more about at those experiences, those experiences we have with literary texts and, and sort of discover and learn more about all the different ways that our experiences with literature can be transformative. So um, that's sort of like the very basis of my research. That's what's at the heart of it. The reason why I look at specifically the Philippinex Canadian community is, you know, once again, from a personal space, I am a Filipina Canadian, uh, second generation. I'm the first person in my immediate family who was born in Canada. And, you know, it's interesting, the Philippinex Canadian community is rather large in Canada. There's over 800,000 of us. Uh And we're also the largest group of recent immigrants. And so we have a growing presence in Canada. Right. But there isn't a lot of research being done on us. And, And specifically, there's there's no research essentially looking at how our cultural identities are socially formed. So taking my two interests, you know, the interests I have in literary experiences and the sort of very deep personal interests I have in my community and the research that's not being done in my community, I want to see how those two things can come together, our literary experiences and what that can mean for our understanding of cultural identity. So with that then, so you're looking at the literary side and the Filipino community, are you Mm -hmm. looking at books about Filipinos in Canadian society or...? That's a good question. So I'm looking more so at how Filipinx people interact with books engage with books and the sort of consequences that come from that. So, you know, I am very interested in Filipino-Canadian literature, which is, you know, we'll talk about later with Scarborough. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't think it necessarily has to be books about our community to right. have a transformative experience. So I'm more so interested in in the people who read the books okay. and what that means for their lives. Okay. Yeah. And I guess are you looking also at when they're reading? Are they are they reading in English or French or in another language altogether? You know, and and with especially you know diaspora literature, that's very interesting because a lot of it is written in English, but language is very fluid and and it comes mm-hmm. in and out. And so when I choose books, because I only speak English, I will be choosing English books primarily. Right, but right. it's more thematically that I'll be selecting literature. You know, themes that that have to do with what it means to be um, Canadian, but also from elsewhere. And okay. The way that I'm going to conduct my research, it's it's going to be sort of like I'm I'm having English class with my participants, and okay. so I'm going to walk them through certain ways of interpreting and analyzing texts and see what is generated from their discussions with me and each other. So okay. you know, I'm very open to see whatever they bring to the table. It's very exploratory the way that I'm approaching my research. So so how you how you getting this community? Is there a community in Kingston, or are you heading down to say Toronto or? There is a community in Kingston, and I'm very, very interested if if I can swing it. You know, my family's from Mississauga, and so right. I know for sure that there are people in Mississauga that, you know, a community I could tap into because it's the community I grew up with. Right. But I've lived in Kingston for five years now, and I know that there is a, a group that uh, meets together, I think, once a month, and I want to start getting involved in the Kingston right, community, the, right. the Filipino community here. Uh, you know, just also for myself personally, it would be nice to sort of be able to have the same kind of community in Kingston as I had when I was growing right. up. But I'm very open. Yeah, I'm very open. It'd be interesting to hear some experiences of, of Filipinos who grew up in Kingston or, or rooted in Kingston because it's it's going to be different from mine yes, as someone sure. from Mississauga. Yeah. I'd also think with your research, I don't know what your your parameters are of your your data set, but mm-hmm. those who were first generation to your generation, um, if they're looking at different or reading yeah. different literature, yeah, absolutely. And and I've purposefully left my definition of Filipinx Canadians very very open. You know, first of all, so that um, I can be gender neutral and anyone can participate but also however you define what it means to be Filipinx is right. is what I'm interested in and so you know I'm open to recently immigrated individuals or first generation second generation also people who may be mixed racially are very right. much open to participate as long as there's something inside of you that identifies right. as Filipino or Filipina yeah what's what's going to be a, a common theme in this particular interview is your um, connection with literature mm-hmm. and your education background yeah. too. Which brings me to uh, a workshop that I know that you're running on the 7th of March right. called, let me, let me just check out what it's called, Empathetic Imagining, Using Literature and Art to Understand Each Other's Complexities. Is this workshop that you're running, is it because of what you're also wanting to do in your own research, but um, but is, is it also because of your participation with Queen's Reads or both? It's definitely both. So uh, Brenda Reed, who is the librarian at the Education yes. Library, her and I have been wanting 
to do, uh, you know, some kind of event for Queen's Reads ever since it was rebooted last year. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we couldn't quite get things in place in times for the in time for the break. So this year, when Scarborough came out, I knew that like I was extra motivated to make sure it happened because Brenda and I had been talking about it for a while. <laughs> no so, pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But I, I was excited about the book and I was excited about the program and. You know, I'm a really we're in a really interesting position at the Faculty of Ed in that our research is also what we teach to our student body and then goes on to be what they do in the classroom. So it's a cycle that sort of feeds into itself. And so in terms of what led me to put on this workshop, it's definitely, you know, a combination of my research and the presence of Queen's Reads on on campus, because what I'm hoping to do in general is show how my research interests are really important, not just for going out into the classroom, you could do this with your students, but you know, for us in our learning and and then make those connections of, yes, we should be incorporating art and literature and literary texts into our everyday lives and because they can be transformative and there's something really rich and beautiful there. So definitely both are are contributing to my motivations to do the workshops. And I, I honestly just feel super fortunate that Queen's Reads is available for someone like me with my research interests and also my background as an educator to just take and run with and be collaborative with so it's it's been a ton of fun and um, I did one version of this workshop before in January with our teacher candidates who are now on their oh, placements okay. yes right. today's their first day of their placements right. and I wanted to to time something for them so that they could take their lessons from my workshop and apply it into their their right. practica and then this next one is open to all of the Queen's community now yeah that's fantastic yeah <laughs> so just going back to your first one that you did with the teacher candidate sure. were you basing it uh, your workshop around teaching in elementary or high school the the spin or could I could be t- both. It could be both, and mm-hmm. and the spin that I took on it is so where we started was is not even questioning whether it's for elementary or high school. It's it started with the people in the room and saying why is it important for you to read literature and and what's right. what's going on there and and the argument I made is that it's part of their ethical responsibilities as teachers to engage with things like literary texts because it makes you a more empathetic person and it makes you someone who's more open to all the complexities that you're going to receive into your classroom. And I had a really lovely mix of um, primary, junior, and high school teachers at that workshop, and they all worked really beautifully together, and they they all got something out of it that had more, more had to do with the heart of teaching rather than the grades that they're teaching, which is what I was hoping for. And I'm hoping we'll transfer over into this next workshop, which is not about being teachers. It's about being humans and people right. and, and empathetic with each Did other. Did they get that before going into the workshop? That that's what they need to, to be looking wider, not just seeing here's the textbooks we have to do, but looking wider than mm. that. That's a good question. And I, I think that everyone who was at that workshop was interested in what I had to say in terms of the role that empathy plays in teaching. Right. I think that uh, the way that I approached it in terms of empathy being really hard and not something that we automatically have, not even as teachers who are inclined to be more mm-hmm. sensitive to other humans. And, you know, my sort of thesis for these workshops is that empathy is really hard and it's a muscle that we have to work out and then reading books watching movies you know 
engaging with literary texts are a way that we can practice empathy. And so I think that they had an interest in what I had to say, but they didn't necessarily understand or know the spin I was going to put on it until they were there. Right. And that's that's the part that I bring from my research. And because right. unfortunately, teachers are very busy. Even teacher candidates are super, super busy. And so they don't have the time to read the literature as closely as, as I can. do and, and engage with the research. Mm-hmm. And so I saw it as my job to say, this is what people are out there are saying. And this is how it can make you a better teacher. Right. Yeah. Well, they must have loved it. I think they had a lot of positive energy that day right. and they got a lot out of it. I think um, I also got a ton out of it because a workshop like this only flies if the people in the room are willing are to participating as well. Yeah, or, or willing engage. to be vulnerable and willing to engage. And so, you know, just based on my experience, I thought it was wonderful. I, I took away so much from everything they had to say. And um, I, I did get positive feedback. So that's really helpful for me yes. moving forward, <laughs> you know, you know, doing this again, this workshop again. So the next one, though, is not for teacher candidates. No, it's, it's a totally different group altogether. Mm-hmm. So you're clearly going to have to, or maybe not, change the way yes. you deliver the workshop? Uh, yes. And, and I think the activities are going to stay the same, but the argument is going to be a little different. The crowd that I will draw into this workshop are not going to be going into classrooms very soon. Yeah. There Maybe some of them will already be teachers or be invested in, in education, but they could just be people who are interested. Just interested. And I think I won't have to go too far off in terms of the way, like the messaging I give, okay. because at the end of the day, students are people. Yeah. And and what I was hoping the teacher candidates would get from my workshop is we we have to treat these students as people. And right. so you know, with this workshop, I'll just be like, you have to treat the person behind you in the grocery line as a person, right. and you have to exercise that empathy muscle and imagine what their life could be like and that's hard but the way you could do it is by reading books. By reading. Yeah, by yeah. looking at art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you said it was for the Queen's community. Is it just Queen's or the Kingston as well or just Queen's? I believe it's open to to the whole community. So okay, to great. the Kingston community. We we will have free copies of Scarborough just for the students though. Yes, because you, uh, you have to be a Queen's person yeah, for that. But, yeah, but, but you can still go and buy the book anyway, can't yes, you, at, absolutely. at the bookshop. So. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and if anyone wants to know more about that, you can go onto the education website mm-hmm. at Queen's and look up uh, Empathetic Imagining. Yeah, and we, we do have an RSVP link that we would like for you to register on. Uh, okay, so what I could probably do is put that on the website. That would be perfect. If you Thank like, you. I can get that. So <laughs> we should get onto the book, Scarborough. Sure. <laughs> now, this is a book by Catherine Hernandez. For those people who don't know, the purpose of Queen's Reads is to facilitate conversation on campus about important topics. I guess, without telling it the whole plot, or maybe we should give a bit of a background about the sure. book. Sure. You want to just give a quick overview of what the book is about? Sure. So and why it was chosen? Um, I wasn't on the book selection committee mm-hmm. last year. I'm going to put a little plug. Both of us are on the Queen's Reads committee <laughs> for the next one, so we're very excited very about this. Excited but about neither it. of us were for, for Scarborough. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Scarborough. Um, it's it's a story about a community essentially. It's a it's a multi narrator, multi voiced novel about children and adults who are in Scarborough and very specifically I believe they're in the Kingston Galloway sort of area of Scarborough which is a very diverse community for those of you who may not be familiar it's 
It's a city on the east side of Toronto. You know, this particular community is sort of low on resources, low SES, um, have a lot of... SES? Sorry, socioeconomic status. It's, It's an... It's a teacher term that sometimes I forget that I need to explain. Gotta. Absolutely yeah. gotta. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, there are lots of challenges that come with living in this area of Scarborough for, for some people. And the book explores those challenges, but also sort of like the really wonderful and bright and beautiful parts of living in Scarborough. Right, you know, right. Catherine Hernandez is from Scarborough. And so I think of it as sort of like her love letter to the community that formed her and, right. and the wonderful people that maybe we don't give attention to and we should be giving attention to because of everything they have to offer and also everything that they need that they may not have access to, right? So with that, what was your initial thought of the book? Right. Because I know everyone has a different reaction to books. Yeah, so I actually found Scarborough before it was announced as the, the selection for Queen's Reads, and it's because last summer... I was, you know, putting the pieces together for my research and I was very much wanting to find some Filipinx Canadian authors. Right. Since because the last time I looked there there was none. And, you know, to this day I only really know of three books by Filipino Canadians. Um so, you know, Catherine Hernandez is a Filipino Canadian and when I found her book I got automatically excited um because it's just really cool and neat to see yeah. someone from your community be successful. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I picked up the book, and, and honestly, the first reaction, the strongest reaction I had was, was that it meant a lot to me to have two main characters that are Filipinx Canadians. And, right. and actually, I would argue probably one main character and one secondary character, but it's Bing and Edna, and Edna is Bing's mother, and yeah. Bing is a, is a little boy in elementary school. And... Um, I was surprised, actually, with how emotional and how important it was for me to right. have those characters in that book. And, right. and I didn't realize how much I had been missing it from my life to to not have stories about my community and, you know, people who are like my family and are like me right. um, represented in the literature I read. Because, like I've said, I've been reading my whole life. English class has been important to me for, for all my life. And yet I'd never really come across a book in which I felt seen. And and so, you know, that was my, my first reaction and something that I still really very strongly hold on to today is, right. is that representation is so important. But also, you know, um, like really authentic representation. That that was the other piece that I, I think um, was so well done in this novel is uh, that Catherine Hernandez treated her characters as people and not just people but people that she cared about right. and and so there are lots of layers to every character there are lots of complexities and there are lots of different intersections of identity that are represented with a lot of thought and a lot of care and you know very intellectually put together and so you know that was my big takeaway right. from Scarborough that was my first impression yeah. So it was interesting that you said uh, you read this book before it came out on Queen's yeah. Reads and it's been important and clearly you're doing a workshop on it as mm-hmm. well, So yeah. which is great. <laughs> as an educator and a PhD student, were there particular themes or systemic challenges that stood out for you in the book? I mean, I know you kind of mentioned a few with your little overview there and what, yeah. what you thought. Yeah, and, and I think probably the, the theme or challenge that left me with the most to think about 
has to do with the character of Miss Hina, right, who yes. um, is the facilitator of the Ontario Reads program in the school where the children, the children characters attend. And for those of you who haven't read it, the one of the biggest challenges that Miss Hina faces is the desire to really meet the needs of her community and serve the people of her community, but not necessarily getting the support from right. uh, her supervisor. And I ha- I had a lot of thoughts about that because I was a classroom teacher. Before I pursued graduate studies, I taught middle school. And so it's interesting because I understand on some level how difficult it can be to want to meet the needs of your students, but know that not not everything is in your control. Yeah, that that there are decisions that are made by people who who've maybe never been in a school yeah. or haven't been in a school since they were a child and are making decisions about your day to day life. Right. And that's really challenging because it's really easy to turn that inwards and say like, oh, I'm failing my students then. Yeah. But it's it's a whole collection of things. There are so many influences and, and it's a very hard thing to take into your everyday life. And so I very much gravitated to, you know, that theme, her struggle, and, and honestly, just sort of the the fortitude that Miss Hina had in yeah. very much demanding saying, no, the, the, this is what my community needs and I'm going to ask for it. And I think she served as a really important model for what I would like to do in the future, because yeah. at times I didn't ask for the things I needed because I was afraid of rocking the boat. Right. And um, and I also do want to say that, you know, I was a classroom teacher. I wasn't in the same kind of role as Miss Hina, who was also working with the community at large. And, and I think the other reason why I was, um, I gravitated towards her character is because I know from my experiences that classroom teachers can't do what they do without people like Miss Hina, right. without the people right. who who are willing to do things like literacy centers or early year centers and work with parents and work with communities, um, because classroom teachers are, are pretty limited in, in what they're able to do, which is confined to the classroom most of the time, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I'm in a grad student now, and, and I'm sort of going on to a, the next sort of phase I, I like to call my teaching career an adventure. So I'm going into the next phase of my adventure. <laughs> That's good. We've um, got, we've got to have adventures. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, I may, the, wherever I end up next after I finish my PhD, maybe in a place where I can influence policy, it may be in a place where I can make decisions that affect the Messinas of the world. And I thought about that a lot while I was reading because I don't ever want to be the kind of person who forgets what it's like to be a front line worker in a community or, right. you know, to be connected to people who are frontline workers in communities. And so that to me was was a really important theme and challenge in the book that that I hold on to because uh, it's very, very easy to forget when you when you leave the classroom or you leave schools that the decisions that policymakers make or people higher up make right. have you know, sometimes unintended or intended consequences to the people who are there with the children and with the families. So that was my big takeaway from from Miss Hina and her story. Right. Yeah. I think I think for me one of the the thing that really stood out for me is the book really shows the multiculturalism mm. of Canada in one little area. And even though the area is obviously multicultural, there's still all the always these racist comments or biases mm-hmm. that are, that are happening around. I'm thinking but this whole community is multicultural, so we should have a better understanding of each other's differences. And yet, they they all came up with some sort of issue. Yeah, it's 
it's tricky because we all sort of exist in in a system of culture and power. And I've grown up in, well, growing up, my community wasn't as multicultural as it is today, back, right. back home in Mississauga. But I know from experience that proximity to different cultures doesn't necessarily lead to understanding because mm-hmm. we're all sort of a part of a system that privileges certain people right. and doesn't privilege other people. Right. And that's a really hard thing to navigate. Right. Um, and it's a really hard thing to sort of get your head around. And it does take... I think some sort of purposeful guidance from educators, from right. leaders to unpack and figure out because um, it's absolutely possible for, for people to live in tension with each other or live mm-hmm. with misunderstandings of groups or an, or even an unwillingness to learn unless you know someone takes the leadership and say, well, this is what's going on here. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, I mean, a lot of your answers have been because of your background as being an mm. educator yeah. and second generation Filipino, mm-hmm. Filipinex, sorry, which is, that's fascinating to read that. And then I remember when I was reading Queen's Reads, the reasons why they wanted to have this, the school read this book is because some of the themes they looked at was identity and poverty yes. and food insecurity and neglect and things. And those themes do come out mm-hmm. in this book. So it's fascinating to see one, one person's perspective, an educator's perspective of what you're seeing from this book and what mm. then you could be doing differently yourself mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's someone else who maybe is not an, an, an educator would have a totally right. different perspective totally pick on a, a different theme altogether where, yeah. whether it's food insecurity which is another big thing that we always talk about mm-hmm. and things and, like that and that's really the really wonderful thing about literary experiences mm-hmm. and literary texts is that they say when we read them and find meaning in them, it says more about us as people than it does about the actual book. It's right. because we bring so much of ourselves to the aesthetic experience we have we have with books. And um, that's why I'm so fascinated with it is because yeah. it's, it's about us. It's not necessarily about the words on the page. It's about who we are as people and what it means to us. And so, so you know, Miss Hina means so much to me. But for the people who may have chosen Scarborough last year on the committee, they were picking up on very different things based on who they are as people right. and what their desires were and their right. hopes are for the program. Right. So it's cool. It's very neat. It is cool. Yeah. I mean, I never thought I would talk about a book so much. I mean, mm-hmm. I've said this before, I think, where I told my mum I was on the book club. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought, awesome, yeah. she's going to read more. And I do love to read, but I've never really read and, and thought about mm really gone into in-depth about what is the book trying to portray. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good question that I, I've written down here is that do you think discussions like this or the opportunity to read a book with hidden or not so hidden agendas, do you think it's lost on the majority of people? Because initially when I read the, the first book last year, The Break, I just read it like a normal novel. Right, right. And it wasn't until we had discussion I went, okay, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that, but I didn't really look in depth of it while I was reading it. It was to me, it was just a novel. Mm-hmm. So, do you think most people read it that way, unless they're told we want to have discussion on this, in which case they look further? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question because I, I think that we all have the capacity to sort of really dig deep into a book and and figure out what's going on in our reactions to the novel, mm-hmm. and sometimes. If we're not doing it automatically, it's a matter of 
how can teachers and educators help us find a way into the book. So we start examining it more so as a, how am I reacting to it sort of capacity rather than what is this book about? And I wanna say that, you know, it is completely valid and it's also very special and magical when we read a book and we just read it and we have lots of fun with it and that's the purpose of it. That's also a very important part of reading that, you know, I encourage. I, I also just think that when we come across an opportunity to have a very rich reflection or discussion about what does this book mean to me and why does that matter mm-hmm. it's important to recognize those those moments and if if people aren't getting there by themselves then that's where teachers can come in and that's right. where educators can come in right. and say okay well let's try it this way Let, like let's try talking about it this way or let's let's talk more about you know, specific reactions, you had to specific parts, and what do you think that means? Right. And and that's why I'm so excited by a program like Queen's Reads is because we're doing that outside of English courses. We're doing yeah. that outside the classroom and we're saying on a campus-wide level for people who may not be reading with the intent of analyzing or finding meaning, what could this book mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I like to think of it as English class, but English class in an everyday life kind of way. Right. And, and I think that it's a fantastic program for that purpose, because really why English class was important to me was not because it taught me specific skills to get me into university, although it absolutely did that. And I'm grateful for it. It's because it taught me a lot about who I am as a person in a time in my life where I really needed to answer those questions. And I had the teachers who guided and um, supported me and did it and, you know, facilitated their classes in a way that let me flourish in that regards. And I think that Queen, like Queen's Reads, the program of Queen's Reads has the potential to do something like that mm-hmm. yeah. at a post-secondary level. So, you know. It is fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's and cool. I And I think because we all react to, to books in very different ways, like you said, it depends on your own personal identity and your own lifestyle, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, always, I always think of that saying, and, and I guess there's a twist on it, don't judge a book by its cover. And I know it's meant to be intended for something else, but yeah. you can literally put it in, in, in this context too. Don't judge the book just by its cover. Mm-hmm. Does it have a pretty cover or, or, or does the title mean something to you? Look further inside to see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And I've also look further it. into yourself. And to yourself, and, yes. And see what's going on inside me when I have a reaction to a book. Because you could have read a book and, and say... I didn't like that at all. I didn't think it was saying anything. And even that's really important and special and be like, right. why? Why didn't that say anything to you? And and so, you know, I really encourage teachers and also people to not sort of write off literary experiences just because they didn't like the book. There's still something very rich there. There's still some really yeah. rich learning that's happening when you right. don't like a book. It's just a matter of stopping and saying, okay, but why? What does that say about me? And what that could that say about the way I relate to others? You've got your work cut out for you. It's fun work, though. It is fun work. I mean, you get to read. Yeah, and I get to talk to people. And you get to talk to people. And clearly, you're very comfortable talking to people because you've done this really, really easily. Oh, thank you. So that's that's really good. I must admit, uh, with the the book, The Queen's Reads, the the two books that we've had so far, of course, The Break the First Year and Mm -hmm. Scarborough, I took them home to Australia at Christmas time to get to my family to read because I wanted to see what their perspective was yeah. on, on both of those books as Australians and could could the, the books resonate with what happens back home. Right. Um, so um, I'm waiting to hear from them. One, I, I, I know one of my too. sisters <laughs> said 
that was a heavy read and it was the break mm-hmm. yeah so she found that difficult yeah and uh so i'm waiting for her to read the next book the right. scarborough because there's there's parts in that too that i think she'll absolutely res- will resonate and, mm-hmm. and so it's but it's once again it's, it's a different thing like here is a, you know we can read in canada being brought up in canada not that i was brought up in canberra <laughs> canada but potentially being brought up in canada what does it mean as a canadian to read yeah. something like this because it is by a canadian author yeah Absolutely. And especially for communities that that maybe don't get a lot of attention, Mm -hmm. such as in the break, as well as Scarborough. What does that mean for people who have never been there or never met anyone from those communities? I think that it's so interesting that you gave it to your family in Australia because I, I could see some ways in which it would connect and some ways it would just make them curious, which is also yes. really cool, right? Yes. And say like, okay, now that I'm curious about this and I know that this is outside of my experiences, what 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 effect does that have on me as an individual exactly so, yeah. so they've all got it it's getting passed yeah. around <laughs> going from canberra to sydney back to canberra and so forth best well-traveled on, books it yeah. is indeed i've got little dog ears on, you know, on some corners I so love that. clarissa thanks thank you so much for coming to talk to us Aww. one about your research two about that workshop and if people get a chance i would rec- highly recommend signing up for it and also uh, your thoughts on scarborough because if people haven't read it yet those at queens don't forget to go and pick up your book because it's a great read and those of you in the kingston community you of course it's in the bookshops as well so mm-hmm. it's it's a very very good read so yeah. I, I recommend it to everybody so I appreciate you coming on, talking Thank about you. all those things. Thank you so much for having me. This was lots of fun. <laughs> Good. See, they always get worried. I don't know why. It's, it's easy. <laughs> it's just a chat. <laughs> just a chat, just exactly. A chat. Yeah. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can down, download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, SoundCloud, was it Stitcher and Google Podcast. Mm-hmm. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.